What's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 64. The crew is here with you. Chaz, as always. Richard, how's it going? Hey, everyone. What's going on? What's going on, Seth? How's it going? Oh, going good, guys. How you guys doing? Doing okay. On the docket today, we are going to talk about the both sides of the SCG Open Baltimore. So we have a modern classic and a standard open. We're going to talk about both of those. A bunch of fish mail. So... Yeah, basically the motif of this cast is uh, st- Shadows Over Innistrad Standard, and we're just going to talk about what we think, just dissect some of the lists, just talk everything over. We're, we have a good amount of fish mail to cover, so we wanted to leave enough time to talk about that. Uh, but So let's just jump right in. It's really exciting. Uh, we might talk a little bit about some price movement, too. There's been some interesting increases over the last few days, so Seth and I will discuss that um, you know, as we go along. But in the meantime, let's just jump right in. What do you both think of Shadows Over Innistrad Standard, uh, the SCG Open Baltimore? Just general thoughts, uh, Richard. Uh, it confirmed what I knew all along, that Raven Inspector is the best card in the set. <laughs> <laughs> the one man that card is really good. showed up everywhere. Uh, white was everywhere. Humans was everywhere. We had various flavors of humans, what splash color you wanted to get into. Uh, but we also found out Declaration in Stone uh, is busted uh, because everyone was jamming it in their deck. It was the most played card in the top 64 with 145 copies uh, throughout all the decks. The next card was Knight of the White Orchid at 119, followed by Gideon at 113. So everyone was jamming Declaration in Stone. Who cares if your opponent gets to investigate? You're just going to run them over with humans quickly anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, so it was very, it was a very interesting metagame, and the matches... Uh, we're quite grindy, so uh, I'm liking it. This is a pretty good start to Shadows over Innistrad. Awesome. Seth, what do you think? It was definitely just a relief to finally move out of con standard. It felt like we had been in that standard for like 18 months of seeing the same cards, so I could really care less what cards show up. The fact that it isn't cons is making me happy. So, But overall, I think it was a pretty sweet tournament. There was some really interesting lists that showed up. Uh, I think for me, the big takeaway is that Archangel Avison is really absurd. Like, I thought she was very good, and she seems to be way better than I thought she was. Like, the new Siege Rhino, best card in standard type good. Like, if you watch <laughs> those games, so many of those games came down to who had their Avison, people passing with five mana up bluffing Avacins or Avacin Wars with Avacins across the table from each other. And that was like what the tournament was about for me was just like the Avacin tournament, essentially. Yeah. Uh, turns out it's uh, $50 good, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Those $20 pre-orders are looking pretty good right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's definitely a huge relief. I echo what you said, Seth. It felt like the, the the standard that we just left felt like it just went on forever. Like, just Siege Rhinos, Mantis Riders, like, just the same cards. Like, not even any deviation. It was just the same stuff. And then once Battle for Zendikar hit, it was the same stuff plus another color so they could play more redundancy. So it's just, like, four-color goodness. And then we go into, yeah, there was a lot of humans, but that's to be expected. I mean, it's a it's a pretty good aggressive list to start the uh, the season off with. The, like this new standard uh, to start it off with, it's just a really solid aggressive list. So that's not really surprising. But yeah, going through the numbers that you said, Richard, Declaration in Stone, all these really good white cards are just everywhere. Thraven Inspector, Declaration in Stone, Avacyn, just everything is just so powerful right now. But 
it's really refreshing, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, and and when when we get the the results, like we get through, we go through sixty four. It goes through sixty four lists. There's some interesting decks and in, that can be pointed out as well. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a flux, but right now I'm really like it's pretty cool. And well, I think. What did you? Oh, go uh, ahead, Richard. Go ahead. What do you think of the first place list where uh, you guys said you were sick of con standard, but what we saw was collected company into reflector mage, den protector, flip den protector, get collected company, Jamoko's command you, uh, the grindiest bant deck I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, of course it had Archangel Avacyn's in there, Sylvan Advocate, and JC, so... Right, it's a, it's a strong list, and it is kind of more of the same with Collected Company, obviously, but it felt like there were other decks that can... And, like, and, and it was interesting enough. And even that list had a bunch of new cards, like Duskwatch Recruiter was one of the big cards in the deck that kind of so broke cool. out. A uh, tireless tracker showed up in the main deck. Richard Messon, Avison. <laughs> so, and even Reflector Mage is new-ish. It hasn't been around since uh, Fate Reforge. It's still like relatively fresh. So, I'm okay with this list, even though it does kind of harken back to the last standard. You know what's interesting? Uh, in the mana base for Evolving Wilds, this is where we're at yes. now for standard mana bases. <laughs> That's where we're at. <laughs> From Fetch Land to Evolving Wilds. So. Very interesting. Uh, to make your three-color mana bases work now, people are resorting to Evolving Wilds and a mixture of the Shadowlands and the uh, Battlelands. Uh, so there is a cost of playing three colors now, but uh, you can make it up by playing powerful cards like Collected Company and stuff uh, after the fact. Yeah. So, so white was really dominant. Uh, obviously the best color at this tournament. Most of those lists were like aggressive human-based lists. How much do you guys think that is just the fact that it was week one of the format? And if you're going to sit down with these new cards, probably easiest, most powerful deck to build would be to curve out with humans in two colors. So how much of that is because it's week one and how much of that is this deck is really good? I think a lot of it had to do with it was week, it was week one. Like, like I said, it was a re- it's a really strong, aggressive list and it, it, it merited people taking it to the tournament. I mean, there is really good stuff that you can be doing, like Reflector Mage. Uh, a lot of them were playing blue for Dragonlord Ojutai. So there, there's really, like, strong stuff you can be doing, whether that's better going forward when control lists kind of start evolving to the metagame and uh, mid-range list starts packing a lot more languishes. Like, that might not be as good, but... Uh, for now, it's a strong, aggressive list. There's a lot of, there's a great curve, and uh, really the backbone is Thalia's Lieutenant. I mean, that card is just really, really good. Then on, on the other side, how worried are you about Relentless Dead, Olivia, some of these cards that looked really powerful and seemed yeah. to have support but didn't show up? Are they just harder to build these decks because they're a little more complicated, so that's why you haven't seen them yet? Or are they just not going to be as popular or as powerful as we thought going into the standard. Yeah, it's definitely some cards that we've talked about on this cast, and like when we were going through the spoilers, obviously it was a known quantity. A lot of people agree, like Archangel Abyss and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it was glaringly, you know, these cards, Relentless Dead, Olivia, were glaringly missing. I don't know if that means we'll never see them. I just think that they might not fit like what's going on in the first two weeks, you know, and they might not find an immediate home. I don't know if that's going to be the same going forward or we'll we'll never see them and they're not just as powerful. But, you know, I think they're good enough that they might see play at some point. 
And, of course, we have the reset button in two weeks with Pro Tour Shadows over Innistrad. Right, so, right. So I guess that's the other side of things. Like, it's... I, I'm trying to think back to some of the previous standards, but it seems like this kind of stuff happens. I definitely remember in the first week, maybe it was Fate Reforged standard, there was a Frontier Siege list that, like, Brad Nelson and all them played, yep. and it did really well, and it pl- was played for a couple weeks, and then the Pro Tour came around, and that deck just disappeared, and no one ever played yeah, it again. Never, never saw it again. Yeah. I mean, like I said, when these cards are inherently powerful, Relentless Dead, Olivia, stuff like that, I mean, even Mindrack Dean was kind of missing. I thought, oh, I think that would that would show up at some point in some of these uh, black-white uh, mid-range lists. It's just a really big card, and uh, that was even missing. So I don't think we've seen the last of them, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of those cards at the Pro Tour, like, hey, Olivia in a mid-range cell. I guess that was really good when you can pitch like these cards and give these huge creatures haste and plus one, plus one, stuff like that. I yeah, do love... I, oh, go ahead, Richard. I don't know about the Pro Tour, though. Like, I think these are the decks, because <laughs> you can't just pack Languishes and expect to get anywhere, right? If you, say, Languish the board away, they flash in Avacyn afterwards and beat you down, right? And Languish doesn't yeah. even take care of Archangel Tides, right? If you try to actually Wrath, then Archangel of Avacyn will right? So I don't think there will be some miraculous control deck that comes in, or a ramp deck. And I think what we'll see is slightly bigger white weenie decks. Right, kind of like Bant Company, like you're going to have these weird configurations where they just try to get slightly bigger to edge out the mirror. But right. you can't use the traditional tools because Archangel of Avacyn stops everything, like no wraths. Right? you got to keep up, play creatures, and block. So you're going to play Collected Company, you're going to play more humans, you're going to play Den Protectors, crap like that, right? So I, I don't know. I don't. Hopefully there's some weird combo deck that like puts this on its head, but I, I think we're just going to see these style decks, and creature combat is where Wizards wanted it to be, and there's a lot of creature combat in White Week. It is interesting, speaking of creature combat, if you look at the most played creatures in this tournament, it really came down to humans versus Eldrazi, which is oddly flavorful and kind of fits, like, Battle for Zendikar block and Oath of the Gatewatch transitioning into Shadows over Innistrad, so it's almost like dual deck standard or something, like dual deck Eldrazi versus humans is where we're, <laughs> is pretty much where we're at right now. Yeah, I, I do agree with what you said, Richard. Um, I think most of these will show up at Pro Tour. They will obviously change a little bit. Like, I, I think you're right. Some of these human lists might switch gears to a more mid-range version where, you know, they're they're more relying on Ojutai and Archangel Avacyn and stuff like that. Um, so they'll continue to get a little more top-heavy rather than play a bunch of one-drops and stuff like that. But that, I could see that happening, but I don't know. I feel like there could be some, some more innovation. We might see a little bit more at, at the Pro Tour. It usually does happen like that. Uh, we will see a bunch of the lists that we see it the first couple of Star City games of a new standard, but then we also kind of see a list come out of nowhere, like um, Kelcano's uh, Aristocrats list or something like that. So what happened to Red Black Vampires? I don't know. I thought it, when I, when I played it and, and I was testing, I thought it was pretty good. I guess uh, it really isn't when, I mean, the one concern was humans. I mean, their curve is pretty good. So I guess that ended up being the deciding factor. Everyone brought humans. I just think it runs out of gas too much, and I think that's a huge problem. Yeah, I think the consensus was you needed to work pretty hard to make Madness do something, and without Madness, all your cards are not good. Really, yeah. Whereas the human cards are pretty good by themselves, and even better with Synergy. 
And then plus you get all the awesome white cards like Avis Declaration in Stone and Raven Inspector. Right. I was a little surprised not to see more uh, red-based aggro lists. Like, I know we had red-white Eldrazi. I guess that's like a, a aggressive list, but not really when you're playing like Chandra Flamecaller and stuff like that and Hedron Crawlers. Uh, I was just surprised to not see like a, a very red-based like aggro list with like Sin Prodder or even like um, there's still uh, the two drop from Dragons. It's a Mythic. Oh, I can't Dragon, forget what that Dragon is. Whisper. Yeah, Dragon Whisper. Just stuff like that. Like very red-based aggressive well, list. I thought there was something. They invalidated there. red, right? So typically red was <laughs> yeah. aggressive, but it had reach, and white was slightly bigger creatures, aggressive but no reach. But they removed all the reach from red. There's no bolt. There's no lightning yeah. strike. So then, like, why play? Just play white at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, you still have Fiery Temper and um, uh, what's the other one from uh, Origins? The three mana, four damage card? Oh, uh, Exquisite Firecraft. Yeah, Exquisite Firecraft. I mean, there's still stuff there, but I guess you're right, Richard. Todd Anderson's list was really cool. Out of all the top eight decks, he was the one person that was doing something very different. I think he was the only person, maybe in the tournament, but definitely in the top 64 that was playing anything like it. Uh, So I'm definitely excited to see if something like that can keep working. It's got the Migmatic Insights, Tormenting Voices, it can flip thing in the ice really easy. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if this is just like he managed to build a deck that was good against humans and kind of spike this tournament. Yeah. Or if this is actually like a real thing going forward. The the thing about the control list, um, and it does really good against a lot of the linear aggressive list, the problem is is when you run into a deck like Collected Company. And you, they can kind of just regurgitate creatures onto the field. And that list doesn't really have, like, other than, like, Chandra Flamecaller and the one of Kozilek's Return, I think, that was in there. You can't really deal with a lot of creatures at once. I wonder if this deck could go maybe, like, Jeskai. It seems like in this standard right now, you need a really good reason not to be playing Archangel Avacyn. So I wonder, yeah. I wonder if you could be Jeskai, and that would let you uh, have... Radiant Flames is like Radiant a better Flames, sweeper yeah. if you went into a third colors. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it, it was a really interesting list. I don't know if it's going to be going forward, but I mean, it was really the the I mean, the stuff he was doing was really powerful off of uh, Pyromancer's goggles. But I don't know if that's going to be like a thing going forward. I'm I'm also yeah. very very disappointed that he did not have Sinks' tutelage anywhere in the seventy five. <laughs> this looks yeah. like the old tutelage. Oh my God. Deck. I mean, I, I was kind of <laughs> surprised. I mean, I would think he did have Sphinx's, uh tutelage. But instead, he's playing Fevered Visions, and I was like, I don't know what that's all about, but that could have probably been Space. Like, his plan was know. Thing in the Ice, and it worked masterfully. You couldn't deal with Thing in the Ice. Like, the yeah. game against Eldrazi, where he's like, whatever, World Breakers. <laughs> right, right. Like, like, so like here's my behind. giant... Yeah. Bounces in, but when he bounces an yeah. Ulamog. Who bounces Ulamogs? <laughs> right? And then he still wins, right? It's just yep. a bunch of basically do-nothing cards that flip Thing in the Ice, and then he gets the dream of Pyromancers, Goggles, uh, Magmatic Insight, Trigger, Jorian, draw five cards, hello. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you saw when he falls behind, he basically yep. cycles through his entire deck, finds nothing, and dies. Right? So he's really relied on those things in the ices, and with cards like Anguished on Macon, Declaration in Stone, and things like that, uh, 
he needs to be able to protect his thing in the ice. So when it doesn't live, he's very behind. Right. But, it, it, without thing in the ice, it's very hard to close out games. That but thing. that's that is where the Sphinx's tutelage comes in. If you're drawing cards right. like that, that against a predominantly mono white field, like you're going to mill people out in one turn if you can resolve a couple magmatic insides with Pyromancer's goggles. Like the thing in the ice. I agree with you. There's basically his wrath and wind combined into one. Right. If you just play tutelage, you can't deal with the board. And you'll just die. Well, but I mean, like, in conjunction, like, this same deck, but figure out a way to fit in, along with the thing in the ice, uh, fit in the Sphinx's tutelage, and to take care of that problem of going, drawing through your entire deck and not winning the game if they can deal with your thing in the ice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's something to consider. And yeah, like I said, I mean, that deck is pretty cool. It does really good things. But then when you run into a deck like Collected Company, and they're like... They have a bounding crasis on the crasis on the field, and your thing in the ice is about to flip. They're like, okay, <laughs> like, all right, I'll thanks. <laughs> or they have a reflector mage on the field, and they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it just feels like it has a really rough time against the company. What about the uh, other forgotten hero of Arlen Court? Yeah, nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen, and no, not not really any like Nahiri, and very little. Uh, Actually, not a lot of any of the Planeswalkers, to be honest with you. I thought there was a lot of Soren, no? In the... There was Soren here and there, but not, like, tons and tons of them. I think Soren was in a lot of the white-black uh, mid-range decks. Yeah, like as a one as like a one or two of. Yeah. I think as far as Arlen Cord, though, the big problem is no one's playing green-red. If you look down this list, there's one yep. Jun Company list, and that's built around Collected Company, obviously, so a four-mana Planeswalker isn't really your thing. So there's just not a lot of decks that could play here even if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, even in the Naya company list that Jadeen was playing, didn't even play Arlen Cord, but managed to get a Nahiri up to like 25 hours. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I Yeah, there really wasn't a lot of shadows over Innistrad Planeswalkers, but I'll tell you what Planeswalker that showed up was Gideon. That's still a good card. Are you talking about <laughs> big Gideon or small Gideon? Because <laughs> small Gideon showed up all of a sudden both both <laughs> yeah i i did realize that like kytheon kytheon whatever uh's flip side is not really that it's just a, I mean, it's a I one drop just, <laughs> yeah i guess it just turns into a four four yeah i mean you'd have to spend a lot to get that planeswalker you're right out of field. no but um ally of zendikar is still and it's just like a human savannah lions like even if you don't ever flip it it's pretty good for those decks yeah, I mean, the deck yeah. is playing literal survival lines, like Expedition Envoy, like a one-man. <laughs> yeah. one, might as well get a bunch of text at a backside. While I guess so. I mean, and, and at the very least, it has an ability on it as well. I don't think a lot of people <laughs> realize that. It could give itself indestructible, which is pretty interesting. But uh, I don't know. Going through some of the lists, I, I'm kind of interested in some of the, the lists that didn't place too well, but still are interesting, like, going forward. Like, I see, like, Soul Tide Delirium. That seems interesting. Um, there was some, uh, there was like a Jun company list with, uh, Liliana, Heretical Healer, Fleshbag Marauder. Like, that was interesting. Oh, um, Chaz. Isn't that a straight up, like, cons deck? There, yeah. There's also Esper Demonic Pact with three, I saw that three Starfield of Nyx. Oh, yeah. That's, that's my card right there. People are that's still, you, that's your deck are right still there. playing the Starfield. So that, only three creatures, three Wasteland Stranglers, which I guess you, anguish on making something and then yeah <laughs> it doesn't or silk wrap okay. or angelic purge so they, oh, so they have a... snare you have all the exile ones. okay yeah. so that and then three slumgars command which is 
a card that hadn't really seen much play, maybe a one of once in a while in the old standards. So it's interesting to see three of those in the deck as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it bounces your demonic pack plus something else. So. Yeah. Five mana, bounce demonic pack, kill your creature, or planeswalker is pretty good. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah, Starfield of Nyx, I guess, is still a card. It was a really interesting list, and what's good about this list, it, it wasn't like playing like all these like dumb cards. Like Angelic Purge is actually pretty good. Like sack my demonic pack, exile your thing, sack. You know, I thought it was pretty ingenious. Okay, wait, wait. There's a sinister concoction. In- how is this a good card? <laughs> Someone explained this to me. Where is the synergy? It's the one one. It's, it's for a one Starfield. one, and it's like two for one removal you, <laughs> against you, you. Well, imagine if you get that back with Starfield. Yeah, it's like an abyss. Yeah, it is. It is the abyss. I think that's except the combo. You, except if you don't get yeah. it back, it's just terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think there's definitely some room uh, that there's there could be some other cool things that we see going forward, but. Right now, it does seem like uh, humans is a really strong uh, choice to be playing it in standard right now. So, so Chaz, uh, we haven't talked a ton about finance. Where, sure. where do you see Archangel Avacyn, I don't know, a month from now after the Pro Tour? Is this like going to be a $40, $50 card long term, or is it uh, going to be trending down? I think it settles around like 30 bucks. $30, $35. So if you have copies that you're not playing, sell them now and then buy them back in, or would you just hold on to them? Ooh, I don't think this is like a Jace Jace Friends Prodigy card. Like, I don't know if it will see play as much as, like, Jace in other formats. So it's really hard for me to pass up $50 on a mostly standard myth. Yeah, I I agree with you. I would lean for... Not that it can't see play in Modern, obviously. I think it's a really good card. Uh, It does have, like, this casual appeal going (laughs) for it, but I, I, I... Yeah, I just... I don't think I could pass up 50 or $40 on, you know, to sell Avison. I don't know about the modern thing. I mean, there was someone at the modern event this weekend playing literal tribal angels with like, <laughs> yeah, and no Avison. No Avison. Yeah. So, that's, <laughs> so that's a vote again. That does not bode well. <laughs> if you're playing Sunblast Angel and four Bane Slayers, but you can't find, and four Guardian Seraphs, but you can't find room for an Avison, maybe Avison isn't as good in modern. Yeah. The good thing about that is, like, if you were on the fence about selling it, uh, you only really need, like, two Archangels Avacyns to really play. Like, if you're going to play Archangels Avacyn, that's usually, like, the magical number. Yeah. So if you have one and you don't ever plan on playing it, I obviously would sell it. But to get one more, I mean, I don't I don't think I've ever seen a list play more than I usually see it as, like, a two-up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, and it is... Like, so you might as well just hold on to them, because then you just always have them. To- yeah, I mean, if you're playing with them and think you're going to play with them, it's probably fine to hold on to them. I do think that if you can sell them for $40 plus yeah. you should be able to buy them in a couple months for less than that and probably come out ahead, but whether or not that's worth the effort for any individual person, I guess, depends on if you're like going to not play standard for the next two months because you sold your <laughs> Avacyns and you probably shouldn't do it. But if you just have them sitting around or you open like a case and you have five Avacyns, definitely get rid of the extras now. Well, I mean, if you plan on playing mono white humans <laughs> that don't run Avacyn, then by all means, sell them for 40. And yeah, I mean, even if you send uh, like ends up saving 10 bucks a card, I mean, that's $40 a playset. That's not nothing. That's that is true. So if you wanted to rebuy in is what I'm saying. But I think that that's I think this has to be near the peak, even with a good pro tour. Yeah. I have a hard time imagining this 
shooting up much higher than $50. Like, that's usually the, like, Gideon at the Pro Tour shot up to about this range for a short while. Uh, so I think this is near the top, even if it has a breakout Pro Tour. Yeah, I mean, even Liliana of the Vale was, like, 20 bucks during Standard. And that wasn't too long ago. Yeah? It's only a few years ago, and Liliana was, like... And even, even like, Snapcaster was, like, a $25 card. And, I mean, so. what's Gideon now? Down to 20 bucks. Like, it shot up over 40 and it's just slowly... And, it, and yep. it's not seeing less play. It's still one of the top five cards in Standard. Yep. So I think that over the long term, like, I would definitely sell in the next week or two heading into the Pro Tour uh, if you have extra copies. Yeah. Unless we're getting it wrong, and maybe Gideon shouldn't be a $20 card, and it should be more. That could always work, too. It, it has started to trend back up. It was down to, like, 18-something, and now it's back up over 20. So it, it could keep trending up, uh, Gideon, but I don't think it's going to go yeah. back to 40. No, yeah, you're right. And, uh, yeah, mostly, I, yeah, I would be selling two at three. It's just hard to pass up. The, the other things that are a definite sell are the couple cards that have, since we're talking about finance, that you want to bring it up. Um, like, just to touch on some of the other cards that have increased, like, I would definitely be selling stuff like Pyromancer's Goggles, Tireless Tracker, even though I love that card. Uh, that just seems like a lot for those cards. Oh, especially the rares. Uh, Tireless yeah. Tracker, Thalia's Lieutenant, there are going to be a lot of those entering circulation. And Pyromancer's Goggles, that that wasn't the breakout deck. Like, Todd Anderson did awesome with it, and the deck looked really sweet, but it's not like that deck just dominated the tournament. So I'm yeah. still a little skeptical if Pyromancer's Goggles is a real card moving forward. Yeah, the, the only thing I see about that card in particular is that it could be, like, a good casual card going forward. So I think, like, for a while it'll just slink back down to, like, five bucks and then slowly go back up again over the years, but... Yeah, I mean, selling out at eight, I, I would I would sell them if you had them, or if you really want to use them, I guess just keep them. But yeah, like tireless tracker, even like declaration. I mean, all those cards, like the rares, just seem like they they just can't hold that price. Yeah, it's going to be very hard. Well, I mean, right now the pinch is on. Like the set just released last yeah. Friday. There's not that much supply. So prices can be pretty high right now, but people are going to be opening this set. Like, a lot of product will be open. The, oh, the yeah. price is definitely going to trend down as the supply increases, especially for Rare. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. Turns out Tireless Tracker was a was a good card all along. And I love that card. You, you picked that out of the green three drops. That was your pick to see the most play. So good mm -hmm. on you, Chaz, during our set reviews. Hey, I, yeah, listen. Green drawing cards is pretty good. Oh, did you want to, yeah, let's touch on Modern a little bit. Um, so this was a open classic. We got to see a little bit of modern without, you know, now with the ban list uh, in place. Just a couple thoughts about that. Did you want to go really in depth about it? But um, I just want to hear your thoughts, uh, Seth. Uh, well, I mean, some of the unbanned cards did show up. None of them top aided, but we we definitely see people trying. Uh, Thopter Foundry, Sword of the Meek decks. There's two or three different ones in the top 32. Uh, then we saw people playing Ancestral Visions. Uh, there are 24 copies in the top 32 decks, which actually makes it the eighth most played card. Whether or not this is sustainable, who knows? Like, a lot of times when new cards enter a format, people are going to try them, whether they're good or not, because that's how you figure out if they're good. So we'll see if the six months from now those numbers are consistent. Otherwise, I think it was Richard last week that said Scapeshift was going to be one of the big decks, and he appears to be right. There were two in the top <laughs> yeah. eight, and, uh, and one that won the tournament uh, coming in first place. So it looks like Scapeshift, and then otherwise it looks normal. I mean, in fact... 
Merfolk, yeah. Abzan Company, Grixis Control, which is essentially like the Grixis twin list, but without the twin combo, more or less, and then Kiki Cord. So not a lot of huge shakeups, but what do you think, Richard? Uh, yeah, you it, got it right. It looks Richard, like the metagame without Splinter Twin, Blue Metal Jazzy. <laughs> like, it's, it's just all the decks we know, and here they are, right? We we didn't see any crazy new decks pop out of anywhere. Uh, even the decks featuring the new cards are just you know, basic, you know, control shells with Doctor Sword thrown in, or you know, you take yeah. Grixis Control and throw in four Visions, and there you go. So we didn't see anything <laughs> crazy going on. Um, Bitter Blossom was something people are talking about. You know, Ancestral Visions may have given fairies something, but apparently not. Didn't show up here. Uh, so, so I don't know. It just, it just looks like modern. And personally, I think modern is kind of looking at like legacy at this point. Like it doesn't even matter what shows up on this list because when you go to your card store, people will be playing all kinds of decks. Like the tier one and tier two pool go deep enough that any one of those decks could spike a tournament. So it's just whatever your local players are playing, and I don't know that it's, like, standard where there's actually, like, three tier one lists and that's it. So I think this kind of shows it, right? You have decks all over the place from aggro decks in Merfolk, Combo, uh, Infect, uh, Scapeshift, Combo deck, Control deck, uh, Abs and Company, Grindy decks, Jund, the King of Fair decks. So you have decks all over. Now, one thing that is missing are the Combo decks. Uh, the, the fast and furious combo decks, like, um, I guess Storm isn't so fast nowadays, but Storm, uh, Phyrexian Unlife, things like that. I don't see too much. Affinity is kind of neutered in this list. They're down all the way to 13. Uh, but overall, it's, it's just all the modern decks we've come to know over the couple of years. They, they've all shown up here, so. It's, so I guess uh, we didn't have to worry. I guess we did get to see what uh, modern was going to be like with Band. Yeah, we, what we didn't see is the resurgence of some crazy control deck. Yeah. You know, no one's casting cruel ultimatums or Sphinx's revelations here. <laughs> uh, Grixis, you could consider control, but to me, that's more like Jund. Um, but right. yeah, like it's no longer cool to cast Remand into Cryptics. I, I guess nope. Scapeshift is control deck now, right? Well, but there, that's like there, a combo control. There's a couple. I mean, there's a Jeskai control that came in 12th. It's Snapcasters, Bolts, Pass, almost like the old blue-white-red control decks. And then Jerry Thompson's deck was very much a straight, like, blue-white control deck, except it has, uh, randomly, the Gifts Ungiven combo with Unburial Rights to get Elish Norn, so... So there's a couple control decks, but they didn't break the tournament or anything. Yeah, and I think it is good because you like to see if the ban- unbannings did stuff and we talked about this prior to recording that um while they're not dominating like we're it's not an ancestral vision like deck uh format anymore or now that they're on band they're playing like complementary roles so it's exactly like you said richard like uh grixis now gets to play four ancestrals and here you go and there's there's some uh control lists that or like these gifts lists that we see that have the thopter foundry uh combo in them that's just kind of in there so it, they're playing like a really complimentary role, and I do think that was a good unbanning, and I think it was good enough to to say that they're not do nothing unbans. Like they they are playing a role, even if it's just a complimentary one. And like Grixis can just play for uh, ancestral vision. Now. Yeah, well, that's exactly what you want, right? You don't want to see right. every deck of the top eight jamming for ancestral, vision, right? Course, <laughs> because yeah. then you have the Eldrazi problem again. Except you're just yep. drawing free cards. So the fact that it shows up in some decks, but not all decks. It means it was probably a pretty safe unbanning by Wizard. Yep. Yeah, I agree. 
so it was good to see. And hopefully Modern just keeps chugging along and uh, it's at least interesting to look at. No one cares now because you can't complain about Eldrazi. You, you can course. only blame your bad magic playing skills when you lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no one really cares because it's standards in now, so that's off everyone's radar. Modern Pro Tour. <laughs> um, we have a, quite a bit of fish mail, so uh, we should probably start answering. Yeah, we wanted to leave enough time. Yeah, let me pull it up. All right. Uh, Tristan Ewing, uh, is it worth redeeming BFZ online? It's cheap to buy a complete set. But is it worth it long term? <clears throat> well, I I don't think Battle for Zendikar is one of the more appealing sets to hold long term. So be, for that reason, I would say no. I think there are complete sets that it's worth it for. Like when you could get uh, Cons of Tarkir sets for 65 ticks or something, like holding those long term has a lot more appeal because there are a bunch of modern playable cards, which could uh, go up over time, even discounting the fetch lands. But Battle for Zendikar just doesn't have that much appeal to me. If I was going to redeem sets for financial purposes, I would be looking to flip them immediately. If I could get them cheap enough on Magic Online that I could immediately sell them and make a profit, I'd consider it, but I wouldn't be interested in holding them long-term. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, and we we mostly defer to all Magic Online finance use them. <laughs> but I, I think I can generally agree. Okay, from uh, at Adam Hart. I'm a big fan of your podcast and the website. The content is awesome. Uh, I read and watch almost everything you guys do, but I have a question, especially for Seth, probably better known as Safranalo. How much <laughs> is your Magic Online collection worth, and what is your total card count? Just looking through against the odds, it seems like you have a ton of cards, and some are pretty pricey. Do you buy these cards for each article? Do you already have them? Do you ever sell or trade your cards away? Oh, man, that's a big question. Okay, um... First off, I'm really lucky that I can borrow pretty much any cards I need to make videos. So that is definitely very helpful. So I don't have to just go out and buy all the cards I don't have for a deck. I can borrow what I need to make the video. So that's number one. As far as my own collection, I've been on Magic Online for seven years now building a collection. And I think last time I looked, my collection's probably worth about five grand somewhere in that neighborhood. Which sounds like a lot, but when you consider owning everything on Magic Online is like 20 grand, I'm kind of like a quarter of the way there to having a complete Magic Online collection. So I have a lot of cards, especially for Modern and Standard. Uh, with Legacy and older cards, I kind of only have stuff for decks that I like to play, like Miracles uh, and Stoneblade and other control decks. So I have a decent-sized collection. I think maybe 55,000 cards altogether. But that's including, like, sets that I drafted a lot, and I have, like, 50 of some random common from a set that I drafted a lot, so. And that's usually what I bum off <laughs> when I play that <laughs> Gathering Online. <laughs> I'm actually curious what your most drafted card of all time is. Like, what's the card that you have 150 of <laughs> sitting in your collection? Uh, I would actually have to look that up. I can I can try to check. Let's go on to the next question, right, and I'll so try we'll to give fill you, you some in at that. Uh, at Adrizian. Now that KTK and FTR, uh, not Fate Reforged, so now that Cons and Fate Reforged are behind us, what are good and cheap buy-ups from those sets, uh, pickups from those sets to invest in? I'm assuming paper, uh, but I think mostly uh, this can work for both. Um, well, the immediate one that comes to mind, especially for Fate Reforged, is uh, Monastery Mentor. So that's probably a good one to hold for a long time. 
Um, Fetchlands, obviously, if you don't have them by now, uh, you should probably get them before they start. You know, just adding even uh, like five bucks to each of them is still kind of annoying. Uh, so I would grab those as well. Um, what's a couple other ones? So just looking at Fate Reforged and KTK. Oh man, I don't know. Um, what about uh, Anothenza? The the, the wedge foremost. One. Good or no? The foremost. Yeah, the foremost. I think that's a good one. That's a pretty good one to hold on to. It's it's a pretty good collected company card. So yeah. Uh, Tassiger. Wait, is Tassiger in these sets? Tassiger's favorite. Tassiger. Right? Yep. Tassiger is Fate Reforged. I, so, I, so here, here's a general question for you. Is it basically any modern staple, or are you guys looking at... Basically. Yeah. I, casual yeah. stuff. If we, can, if we can put this under an umbrella, um, it's going to be mostly anything that sees play in modern, like Jeskai Ascendancy even, just stuff like that. And then I, I, I'm not a huge, like, uh, casual slash commander person, so I would look to ask other people who are more, you know, vested in that, but um, yeah, those cards too. Do you, do you guys ever look at combo pieces? Like, there is some card, and you're like, well, one day, if they print this thing, this will be absurd. True. Um, I don't immediately do that, like, when stuff rotates, but if I happen to, you know, look at something from that set, I'm like, oh, you know, if they print a card that does this, like, this could be an interesting card to hold on to for a while. I I think I do to some extent. Like, for me, something like Jeskai Ascendancy, yeah, like, like, the those... build, like they're cards that maybe I'm not thinking of a specific combo, but they're cards that I look at and say, wow, like that's obviously powerful. Maybe it's not going to see play anywhere right now, but I could imagine a world where they could print things that makes this like a tier one or tier two modern deck. And those are yeah. the kind of cards that I like to hang on to. I also wanted to mention, uh, you talked a lot about modern singles, which I definitely agree with. I also like to look for cheap, casual cards, like, yeah. One of the big ones for me is Temporal Trespass. Like, taking extra turn cards usually end up expensive, four or five bucks over the long term. Right now, it's like a buck fifty. Like, that's the kind of card that I would like to hang on to. Because in the worst case, it should never be cheaper than a dollar fifty. Like, you're not going to lose on that. And in the best case, it doesn't get reprinted, and eventually that dollar fifty is $5, and you come out ahead a couple years from now. Yeah. What about cards banned in all formats? Like, dig through time. I, I have a hard time the either of those cards, so I would just... I mean, that's that's the bet you're making, right? If you were going to want to spec or buy dig through time, you would basically be betting that eventually it's going to be unbanned in Modern or Legacy, and I agree with Chaz. I think that that's pretty unlikely. Well, it is legal in Commander. <laughs> the, one, the one home left. Well, out of standard. Th- this, is what, this is what I would say to that. If you are going to bet, and the the price is low enough, and you wanted to like kind of stash some cards away. If you want to hedge your bet, I mean, I would say go for it if you if you really are into that. But I mean, it would just be I I don't think we will see either of those cards come off for a very long time. And so, uh, just a real quick Magic Online specific tip. One thing that happens every single time. Uh, I always talk about like the the seasonal aspects of Magic Online finance, right. but. Cheap Mythics, I'm looking at Cons right now, Sadiq Brew Tyrant, Narset Enlightened Master, Ashcloud Phoenix, even if they're crappy Mythics, they're super cheap right now, like 80 cents a piece. When the set nears the end of Redemption, there's this mad rush to buy Mythics so people can redeem sets before the clock runs out, and those are going to double in price, maybe triple in price. 
So if you're w- willing to play those seasonal uh, rotational type things, it definitely pays off because this happens every single time. Like these bulk mythics drop down at rotation, then a year later when the set's about to end redemption forever, yeah. people would start buying them and you can make money that way as well. Uh, to answer your question, I think it's Counterspell from... From Vintage Masters, I have 90 counter spells from Vintage oh, Masters. Geez. So, and this is Jeez. this is just a Saffron Olive account. I had an older account, so I I can't include that. But that's the most I see. Also, Gray Merchant of Asphodel is in the 70s, so that gives you a, another runner up. <laughs> I liked my Gray Merchants and Limited. <laughs> uh, all right, from uh, Sean at three three, never redeemed a set on Moto. But we like to start for Shadows over Innistrad. Any advice? Best time to pick up rares and mythic? Um, see back to, like, re-listen to what Seth just said. <laughs> That's, like, usually a good time. Yeah, but... Like, there, there's a seasonal aspect to redeem. Well, let's, let's, so there, there's one for maximum value, which I guess is now sure. for the sets that are okay. But what if you actually wanted to play with Shadows cards? W- would you be doing it anytime soon? Or is it just a bad idea? Well, if if you want a complete set of Shadows Over Innistrad cards, redeeming them for Magic Online is most likely the cheapest way to do it. Usually you save money over eBay and stuff like that. The downside is you end up with a complete set, which means you have a bunch of commons and uncommons that you probably don't want. So if you really want a complete set, it's fine to redeem it from Magic Online pretty much at any time. If you just want maximum value... Uh, wait about six months like like that should be the low period of a set is usually like skip a set and then the next set around when that set's reading just before is usually the lowest time so if the set releases in the fall the following spring so forth is usually the seasonal yep. time of it and that's all our fish mail so thank you everyone for I, sending in the fish mail uh you can tweet at mtg at mtg goldfish hashtag mtg fish mail and we will answer your questions on Cavs. Yep. Those were all really good. So thank you, Adam, uh, Tristan, and everyone else. I think, actually, we skipped one. Um, they Something about uh, there's no more replays. Oh, where did I? Yeah. I did skip it. Where, where did it go? Uh, here we go. Here uh, we go. Uh, at Maxi Wawa. Uh, MTG <laughs> Fishmail, New Year's Resolution. Make program to watch Moto replays and record decks. Four months work, and now no more re- comments. Uh, so the backstory for this, this week or last week, uh, Wizards stopped uh, allowing people to watch replays on Magic Online. And uh, yep. the significance of that is there were a bunch of data mining apps, uh, which one of which uh, Goldfish used, uh, to watch replays, figure out all the stats, and then uh, publish them. Uh, so Goldfish did this, and we were able to say things like, you know, Scape Shift versus... In fact, won 40% of the time. I just made that up. Uh, and then Wizard said, told us, hey, stop publishing that data to preserve the metagame. And uh, we took it down because Wizards could shut that down at any time. So there's no point in saying no, because if we said no, they would shut it down. Uh, unfortunately, other sites uh, did not listen to Wizards. And Wizards just shut it down. Uh, so what this means for us is we lost access to limited data, which they didn't care about. They didn't care about the limited format being solved too fast. And then it affected other people like Maxi Wawa, who had a project to scrape replays. So that's kind of the collateral damage out of this. Uh, no more data mining from most the result of this. And uh, it sucks. I mean... I don't agree with the fact that Wizards is trying to hide this information, but at the same time, I understand that they don't want people data mining Moto 
What I think they should really do is do what other games have done and release APIs that give this data out. Right? You can officially pull this data from wizards. They can control who gets it, how, how it goes out, and it doesn't strain their resources, which I'm sure was one of the factors of everyone trying to scrape Moto. So I, that's where we are. I will say, too, one of the big announcements of this week is there's a new president coming in at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Greg Leeds, I believe, the old president, is leaving in like a month or two, and they have Chris Cox, who worked at Microsoft, I believe, at LeapFrog and other other digital products at Microsoft. So I'm hoping that maybe this new leadership will lead to a change in tenor from Wizards about data and maybe embracing it more, as Richard was suggesting, and releasing an API or something. So Did they we'll... say what president was? Is, is president CEO for them? Or like, what, what, what is this position? <laughs> I have seen people use it. Trick Jarrett tweeted, new CEO. The official announcement said president. It sounds like this is the top, top guy at Wizards of the Coast. Not of all Hasbro, but of Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, this, of Wizards of the this Coast is specifically. the top person. So Yeah. And they mentioned specifically his massive digital experience. And it seems like there's going to be a lot of focus put on esports and Magic Online and improving that under this new leadership. So it's, it's exciting, a little bit scary, but maybe this will lead to uh, more access to data once this new president gets it. Who knows? Yeah, I, I hope they allow him to be wanted. Part of my fear is he's kind of just a figurehead or this is just like a, you know, let's get in some new blood, but you must do things like this and then nothing gets accomplished. But if he's allowed to do what he wants to do, uh, coming from Microsoft, coming from, I think he was at LeapFrog before that, uh, he'll have good ideas uh, about the modern technology world. <laughs> so uh, they can bring Magic Online to the standard of, say, Hearthstone and uh, kind of usher in the new era of tech, tech, technologically savage. But if they don't allow him to do anything and just tie his hands, then we're going as So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it'd be interesting. We get foil versions of uh, cards on MTGO that aren't terrible. <laughs> that aren't a detriment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm we waiting for a Mac client or an iPad client. Yeah, that, that really needs to happen. I just want to play Moto on the bus. Can we do this? <laughs> I, someone, someone, I think it was in my on the, the Twitch stream chat, said that they should just switch things on Magic Online. So every card you open is a foil, and you get a non-foil, <laughs> like, once every eight packs. <laughs> so the values yeah. line up with they should. <laughs> because the non-foils look so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for the day the Pro Tour is played on. Oh, God. Because it should be, right? Like, here we are trying to read off cards with glare and stuff, and we can't see anything that's going on. No, because if I hit F2 and I miss <laughs> a patch, it's over. <laughs> can't go back. I know I've heard high-ranking people at Wizards say that that's their dream. I don't know if it was Worth or Lee or one of those guys, that, but to be able to have, like, G-type events, I don't think they specifically said Pro Tours, but to have Magic Online be able to do that, and that would be so awesome, and... It's kind of sad that it feels like it's so distant and we're so far away from that right now. And it could be like, it would be so sweet, right? Because you could open your client and it would say, oh, look, the Pro Tour is going on. Do you want to wash? And you just wash straight in your client, right? With like yeah. the native things. Like, it would be so sweet. So I, hopefully we get there and you don't need to sit there with a laptop gluing cards trying to figure out what people are playing, especially week one of Shadows where you don't know what all the cards do. 
So it's difficult to follow along. It's difficult to see what's in people's hands. But if you could have the client open and watching at the same time. It's... Well, let, let me ask you guys, since we're kind of on this topic, can Magic be successful as an eSport? And what needs to happen for Magic to be successful as an eSport? Because that's one of the things. They have job openings for director of eSports, this new CEO with a digital focus. It sounds like that's the direction. Is it achievable and what needs to be done? The answer is no. So so I was watching SCG Live. We had a cool, I don't know, 25,000 viewers, maybe 30,000. And at the same time, I was watching uh, the League League of Legends playoff, 400,000, right? Like, you can sit in a game of League, know nothing about what's going on, but get excited, right? You see stuff well, happening, you see flashes going off, people die, people gaming. It's very exciting, right? Whereas you turn into Magic, you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to read these cards. Uh, I'm confused. Well, it's like, it's like, I mean, you're really comparing apples to oranges right there. I mean, can it be successful, a successful, like in in the esports realm? I think it can be successful, but it's not going to be as successful as something like, just card games in general aren't going to invoke that kind of excite, like that excitement that a MOBA game like League of Legends or, you know, Heroes of the Storm or Dota or any of those those games are going to invoke. It's like it's like comparing like Ameri- it's like football to chess. Well, let, like you're not going right? to like freak out when it's like, "Oh my god, did you see like he moved his pawn?" like or you're going to like <laughs> you're going to jump out of your seat when your team gets a touchdown. Like but, but we're, the, we're the trying to compare them to esports, right? Well, and they're they're not similar in that fashion. It, well, it'll have its nit, its niche role, but it's not going to be like the 400,000 viewer game that you on Twitter. Well, let me let me rephrase the question. Uh can what does Magic need to do to be successful in the way that Hearthstone is successful? As a better client, uh, more like it has to be on. It has to be on like every mobile device. Like that's just first. Because Hearthstone has the same problems, right? You still, if you are brand new, you don't know what the cards do. You don't really know how to the. Game now works. it's even worse because I think they they like changed it. Now like people don't know which cards they can use and like. But, it, but it's I, still I heard, heard it got flashy, really... right? Like if someone right. has a big turn, you see like thirty to the face, and you see the portrait shatter. You see yeah. lots of creatures going down. Whereas with magic, it's like a bunch of things tapped graveyard, <laughs> right? Like it's 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 not as flashy for the random person, right? And, you know, it's not. I on mean, top of you know, how they, hard it if, is. If they it. made the client and like somehow made it more like duels. I think that could be more interesting. Like, take animations and, like, stuff from that, like, from duels. Like, that could be a little more interesting. Could, could you flash up? Could you make Magic Online look like Hearthstone? And we're, yeah. like, av- you can make it a hell of a lot better than make it. So the problem definitely. with Magic Online is they try to make everything look like cards, right? So, like, yeah. a vanilla creature basically has no text box, but there's this big area on the screen that's just a blank text box, right? Yeah. Hearthstone has kind of fixed that, right? It's just, like, the card portrait with the power and toughness. Or the right. And then matter. when you hover over it, you get to see it does. Yeah, so they've kind of ported yeah. it as a digital representation of the card game. So that's why it's just not very good, you know, at screen space usage. So they could definitely make it better if they designed it from the ground up, right? And when you watch all of these new uh, collectible card games that are digital, you see that people have moved towards that direction, right? They have designed yeah. things from the get-go to be uh, made for the screen, uh, to optimize screen space and not table space basically yeah i mean it's never going to be like one for one hearthstone because magic does have a lot of more like a lot more nuances like phases and you know triggers and all this stuff going on but like i think they could really do it a lot better like 
I got to tell you, like, some of the, like, the dialogue boxes, like, they're so small, like, sometimes, like, uh, do this, and then, like, if you hit F2, like, one too many times, like, something bad happens. Like, <laughs> it shouldn't prompt you, like, for every single thing. I think there's a way they can probably find yeah, it. I mean, that's part of the game, though, like, all the phases and the stops, but... yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, but it needs to be like more apparent. It's not like some little dialogue box and like, oh, you sure? And then you're like, I I don't know what's happening. And then you hit F two and then miss your attack. And I mean, there's definitely a huge like me. <laughs> there's definitely a huge <laughs> issue with Hearthstone is designed to be played digitally, yeah. so you can shuffle a card into your opponent's deck and do stuff that just can't work in Magic. And I don't think Magic can Magic Online can't do that like i think that kills magic online if they stop being actual paper magic and start being some weird hearthstoney having random things happen version of magic like i think they need to maintain that connection to the paper game so they're kind of hamstrung to some extent with what they can do just because their game isn't designed to be a digital game why hearthstone and hex and these new games take advantage of things that magic just can't do because it doesn't work in paper right and I, I, it's going to have to stay the same way, but I, I think they can really update the client. It just always feels so clunky. It is, like it just feels so unresponsive. Is, what about live coverage? Let's forget Magic Online. What, what about watching things like an SCG event? I think that's great. I mean, what more do you really want? I mean, do you want like Cedric Phillips and everyone to start doing like cartwheels, like backflips, like <laughs> they have, they have done that. They have done that. So there you go. I mean, Cedric Phillips taking it to the next level. Um, I think that it's the problem with Magic, and I think it's got to be somewhat a problem with Hearthstone, is it's just not new player friendly. It's such a complex game that it's hard if you just stumble across an SCG Open Twitch stream or even a Pro Tour Twitch stream. I don't know how you have any idea what's going on. Like, that's that's the problem. Yeah. Maybe they could do, like, uh, I was watching, like, the final four and they had multiple broadcasts of the same game like oh this tree this team stream the other team stream the national stream maybe there's some way to have like a new player focused stream of pro tours and stuff that is somehow more inviting and explains things easier and still have another stream because i think yeah it, uh, established players would probably get bored of a new player focused stream or going too far that direction so so i don't know but that's just the natural like, the game is complicated, and it's not that easy for new players to learn, which is, it's a problem. When you view the game as a stranger, uh, like through SCG or something like that, you don't get one of the biggest aspects of the game, which is the art and the flavor, Yeah. right? The cool thing about Magic is, here's my angel army versus your humans with pitchforks or something, let's go to battle. But when you're watching a stream, you just see these cards tapping and whatever, but you don't see the awesome art, you don't see the battle, you know, you don't get someone pulled in by oh look it's dragons like game of thrones i want to play too right like you don't get that yeah right so i don't know how they would incorporate that but you lose kind of just half of the creativity the creative side and the lore and all that stuff uh in these kind of serious spike events right yeah i mean just talking about scg i think the coverage is great i think what they like even something small to do and i've actually been thinking about this for a little while like remove some of the dead space like after a match like Take away, like, you know, cut it away from the game while they're sideboarding or something like that. And if there was, like, a particular part in the game, I mean, treat it like a sport, like an actual sport. I mean, e-sport, but, like, maybe go over, like, the pivotal turn in the game and, like, what exactly happened. Like, why was, like, why was this particular turn the, the turning point in the game? 
and like kind of re-go through that, what maybe someone could have done differently. Instant replay. I think that's basically. yeah, like instant replay. Exactly. I think didn't we talk about that like one point a long time ago? We may. Didn't you bring that up, uh, Richard? Maybe, but the the problem is you got to be really good to analyze the. Re- well, I think everyone that does coverage is competent enough that they can – I think that's like that's something that can draw in new players. Like, oh, well, why Why is, was that important or why is this a new – like why was that the turning point in the game? And if you're re-looking at a section of the game like that, like a pivotal turn, I think that does draw in uh, – like it does help cater a little more to the newer player rather than just sitting like – I mean as much as – like, it's interesting, but, I mean, just sitting, like, and watching two people sideboard is not really that exciting. <laughs> like, you could definitely fill that dead space with more, you know, liveliness and, like, going well, through well, and analyzing. we need our fireworks, mascots, <laughs> yeah. uh, cheerleaders, Jumbotron with replays, yeah. <laughs> pre-game, post-game shows. Just make it, like, uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh! show, and I think, uh, <laughs> you know, we have, like, digital, like... You know, you put your card down, you get, like, a digital huge representation of, like, Avacyn, and, like, it goes to battle and stuff like that. That's what we need. Imagine that, like, magic on, like, a Jumbotron. <laughs> All right, we went from new CEO to Jumbotron somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's definitely a good place to wrap up the cast. Uh, just goes to show you where uh, where our heads are at. Uh, but, yeah, uh, we're going to do this again next week. We're going to get another... Uh, weekend of Shadows Over Innistrad Standard. So, uh, yeah, it's been, gentlemen, it's been great. I think that's going to about wrap it up for the cast. Any last things, final things out the door? Yes, no? Comments, concerns? All right. All right, so that's going to do it for us for the crew. We will see you next week.